Well, great to see you again. It's only been a week, or well, two weeks for some of us. Uh, Karina and I had a great time in Tassie. Karina's uh, brother got married and it all worked well, so that was good news. Uh, and uh, yeah, they're still married, I hope. It's been a week. I think I did the right thing. Uh, it was great, great to be down there, great to be back home as well. Well, uh, as Les says, we're in the middle of 1 Thessalonians, or getting near the end of 1 Thessalonians. Been working through this term. Uh, this week, then we've got Easter, then we'll have the last week. We'll look at la- the end of 1 Thessalonians 5 at the end of that time. Uh, I-, I don't know about you, but I love 1 Thessalonians. It's a great book of the Bible and really encouraging about encouraging one another to love one another more and more and more, isn't it? And uh, uh, Paul now has shifted a little bit in his uh, writing and he's moving to a slightly different direction and he's particularly wanting to address some stuff that's going on for the church there for them. Well, the word hope. Uh, what comes to mind when you hear that word? What's, uh, what's something that you think of when you hear the word hope? Something in the future, yep. Yeah. Something to look forward to. Something to be sure of or a sure hope? Yeah. What I'm doing is worthwhile? Yeah, there's hope in that sense too, isn't there? There's a, there's a future hope, but there's also a present hope as well. And the future hope actually impacts the present hope, doesn't it? Uh, in Hebrews, the writer of the Hebrews said this, Hope is being certain of the things that we cannot see. Being certain of the things that we cannot see. Hope that we can get out of this situation. Hope that the haze will lift. Hope that down the track somewhere things are going to get better. And that hope that we have in the future impacts the hope that we have now. Uh, And we're going to be thinking about that today because Paul wants to address that specifically here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Uh, If you had the three big things that the Bible talks about, the triune big themes, they're faith, hope and love, aren't they? Faith, hope and love. You hear that constantly throughout the Bible. And 1 Thessalonians, you would have heard it constantly. Paul talks about their faith, hope and love. Their faith, hope and love. Your faith, hope and love. Uh, And in the first section of 1 Thessalonians, he's talked lots about faith and love. And now he's going to talk about hope. Because sometimes I think we don't talk as much about hope, do we? We talk lots about faith and love, but we don't talk as much about hope. Well, today we're going to be talking about hope and we're going to be thinking about what God has to say about that for us. Uh, So uh, Nat's going to come up and read for us from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 uh, from verse 13 through to 5, verse 11. It'll be on the screen, but if you've got Bibles, open up. That would be great as well. Okay, so 1... Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 through to 5, verse 11. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. 
Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Now, brothers, about times and dates we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly, as labour pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. Uh, If you look at the back of your service sheet, you'll see there's a little bit of an outline there. And we're talking about hope today, about hope in death and hope in life are the things that we're going to be thinking about. If you take yourself back, I know it's hard to do this, but if you could somehow take yourself back and place yourself as one of the people who were in Thessalonica at the time. Uh, If you go back in history, set yourself back in Greece in that period of time, uh, you've been living your life your own way for years. You've been uh, doing everything that you wanted to do. You've been living for the idols, the local idols, for the local town. Uh, But then just a couple of months ago, uh, a bloke came into town that changed everything. A bloke by the name of Paul and a couple of his mates came into town and they started uh, talking and teaching and preaching and being involved in people's lives and Paul even got a job and started to work and you got to meet this Paul and as you got to meet this Paul, you couldn't help but want to hear more and more about what he was saying. And as you're hearing more and more about what he's saying, you're hearing that the fact that all these idols do nothing that the life that you're living is heading in a a direction that's going to be devastating, but there is this person, Jesus, that makes sense of it all. There's this person, Jesus, that stepped in, who is God in the flesh, who stepped into this world and took everything that you've ever done wrong on himself, nailed it to the cross, rose again, and then promises to come back in the future. And in the meantime, he gives us your spirit to transform and change your life and you've been blown away. That has totally reorientated your whole life and you're just wanting to know more. You've said, all that other stuff's gone and I'm not into all the other stuff they've been on about. I'm not going to go to the prostitutes in the temple. I'm not going to go down and get smashed every Saturday night. I want to hear more about this. And as you're doing that and you're starting to get to know more and more about this and you're listening to Paul, you're hearing about this, Paul's telling you about all the stuff that's going to happen and he's going to tell you that when Jesus is going to return and then suddenly the whole town goes crazy and they sweep in and they decide they've got to get rid of this guy Paul and his mates and they get pitchforks and stuff and they want to come down the street they want to come to Stephen's house and they want to take him out suddenly Paul and his mates have got to go and they're gone they're off, they had to go away and they end up down in Athens and Paul's there, but you're back there and you've just heard this mind-blowing stuff. You've just got this bit of information. 
your life is transformed, but then you start to think. Oh. Well, Paul's not here now, so we have to start working out stuff, start thinking about the stuff that he told us. And he said that Jesus is going to return. So suddenly you think, well, well when's that going to happen? And time goes on after a little while and some of the people that believed in Jesus that you knew when Paul was here have started to die. So what happens to them? Jesus has come back. When's he come back? We feel like it's going to be soon, but then these people have died. But if they've died, but Jesus has come back, what's going to happen to them? But what's going to happen to me? Well, they're dead. Jesus has come back. What's going to happen to me when Jesus comes back? What is going to go on? Well, that's when Paul writes this passage to us. Uh, he knows that's what's going on for them, and so he writes directly to them. And he writes to them because they've got big questions. And in this, this little section, he answers those two big questions. Uh, they're intertwined, these two questions. And the question that he's answering in this passage, the first one is, what happens to believers that die before Jesus returns? It's a good question, isn't it? You know... We can think about for our loved ones, can't we? Our loved ones that we know who are dead, who trust and believe in Jesus, what, what's happened to them? What's going on for them? And then the second question that he answers is, well, it's almost two questions if you want to get pedantic on me, but when will Jesus return and what does that mean for us now? So what happens to the people who have died before Jesus returns? But then what happens when Jesus returns and what does that mean for you and me? Because actually when Jesus returns judgment is coming it's the day of the Lord and we're going to see that in just a moment so they're the big questions and Paul answers them in two parts uh, the end of chapter 4 verses 11 to 18 he answers the first question and in chapter 5 verses 1 to 11 he answers the second question now as we answer those questions you'll realise that he doesn't fill in all the blanks okay but he does answer them uh, because what he wants to encourage them with is hope. He wants to give them hope in death and he wants to give them hope in life. And it's all centred on Jesus. So have your Bibles open with me or watch along as we go on the screen. We're going to work through and see how Paul answers these questions and hopefully he'll answer questions for you too as you've been thinking maybe through these as well. So first of all, look what he says there. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. You see, he's worried about them not having hope like the rest of mankind who don't have any hope. He wants them to have any hope. He doesn't want them to be uninformed. He wants them to know so that they will have hope. So that it'll be opposite of no hope, they'll, have, they'll be hopeful people. Not hopeless people, but hopeful people. Uh, because, you know, what is life if you don't have something in eternity what is life now what is the purpose of why we're here if we don't have a time frame afterwards where we're called to account and when there's an eternity well basically we're slime plus time and then it finishes isn't it, think about it think about life what it is like if you don't have a sense of an eternity it's just all here now isn't it it's all here now and then it's gone, it's finished. So just do whatever you like now. Just go about whatever you want to do now. Because if there's no eternity, there's no accountability, there's nothing, that's it. It's just here. That's all we've got. That is it. 
I'll tell you what, there's some good things about here, but there's some really stuffed things about here, isn't there? Uh, someone once said this, it's stupid to invest everything in something that someday will be nothing. Think about that, it's materialism, isn't it? That's what we live in. Our Western culture is a materialistic culture or a secular culture. And secular culture says it's all just here, it's all about the stuff that you have now. And that stuff goes as well. So it's stupid to invest everything in something that someday will be nothing. It's an interesting thought, isn't it? It's not my quote, it's someone else's, so I can't take the credit for it. But it's worth thinking, isn't it? Because sometimes people say, what are you Christians, you're stupid, you get caught up in all this stuff. Well, what is it like without it, guys? Seriously think about what it's like without it. Don't fluff around the edges. Go deep and think about what life is about if there isn't an eternity, if there isn't Jesus. Because what this passage is trying to say to us, uh, Paul says, don't be hopeless like the people who don't have that, but be 100% guaranteed that you are safe in eternity if you're in Jesus. It says, I don't want you to be ignorant. I don't want you to be lost. I want you to know that you can be safe here and now. Jesus is going to keep you safe. You see, that's what the next part of this passage is about. They're worried about what happens to the people who die. Are they going to be safe? Are they safe now, even though they're dead? And Paul wants to say, they are absolutely safe. Notice what he says. He talks about those falling asleep. Look, he says in verse 14, at the end of it, those that have fallen asleep in him. Uh, he uses fallen asleep. We're going to come back to that a little bit later and tease out what that means. Uh, but he says, fallen asleep in him. That's in Jesus. Uh, people who are dead, they've just gone to sleep at the moment in Jesus. And then verse 7, he says that we are still alive so that we will be with the Lord forever. You see, they're worried that if they're dead, they're not going to be with Jesus or they're going to miss out on Jesus. And they think that is terrible and tell you what it is terrible. And so he says, they will be asleep with him, they will see him forever, and then 5 verse 10, he sums it all up, he said, he died for us so that whatever, whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. What a wonderful statement, isn't it? It's a summary, he wants to pull it together. That we may live together with him, whether awake or asleep, whether alive or dead, we are safe and secure with Jesus. We are absolutely cannot be separated from him. Romans 8, isn't it? Nothing can separate us. You see, the big point of this passage, for the whole of it, is this. Is you can be, have sure and certain hope that whether in life or death, followers of Jesus are inseparable from Jesus. Life or death, Followers of Jesus are inseparable from Jesus. He's got us now, he's got us in death, and he's got us in eternity. He will never, ever let us go. Absolutely. That is a wonderful truth, isn't it? Because Paul says it is certain that Jesus is going to return. Uh, look at verse 15, he says... Those left until the coming of the Lord. Uh, in verse 16, the Lord himself will come down from heaven. Uh, Jesus is going to come back. Sometimes we think, well, when? You know, it's been a long time, Jesus. What are you hanging on for? Well, there's good reason for that. We'll talk about it later. Uh, but what he's saying is he's going to come. 
He's going to return. The word there for that is called parousia. Uh, if you read stuff about the coming of Jesus, you'll hear that word, the parousia. It's the coming of Jesus, and it's the picture of the king entering into town after being victorious and everyone going off, like when the Sydney Swans won, which wasn't against Hawthorne in 2006. <laughs> but it's that ticker-take parade picture, isn't it? The victors coming into town. And as Les said, when did we see that at the beginning? It was when Jesus entered into Jerusalem. The king coming in, the palm leaves going down. Can I tell you, that is only the preview. That is not the main game. The main event is the event that Paul's talking about here. When Jesus comes at the end of the age and bang, everyone's going to know. Everyone's going to know. This is the main event. This is where the Bible's heading to, guys, by the way. Uh, you know, don't get me wrong, the cross is critical and Jesus is the important, he's the middle point. That is where it all hangs. But actually where it's all heading is to this point. The main event is when Jesus returns. When the king enters in triumphant and victorious and the, what does they say? The trumpets sound, the blasts go. This is not just a local event. This is not just in Jerusalem, by the way, people, okay? If anyone tells you it's just going to happen in Jerusalem, no, this is not just a Jerusalem event. This is a worldwide event. Everyone will know. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. Because Jesus is going to come and the whole world is going to recognise this. This is the main event. How often do you think about it? It's interesting, isn't it? How often do we actually think this is the main event when Jesus returns? Uh, don't get me wrong, we, we talk about it, we know about it. But how often it just sits back here, doesn't it? It's over here somewhere. Yeah, it's going to happen. But Paul is saying here that this main event gives us hope beyond belief. Hope in death and hope in life. But actually this main event impacts what we do here and now because this main event is where Jesus is taking us to. And actually we should be thinking about this main event because this main event should impact everything that we do. Because that's where we're heading to, guys. We're heading to that point. And we want as many people as possible that we can possibly imagine around us on that day saying, yes, Jesus. And Jesus, Jesus saying, yes, you're mine and not being separated from him. I reckon it's worth thinking about, isn't it? The main event. Have a think through that. Because what Paul wants you to know, isn't it, that you can have sure and certain hope both now and in death and when Jesus returns that you can be inseparable from him if you are his. Don't forget what Paul said before this, hasn't he? All the way through, he says, how do we know that we are his? It's when we put out faith in Jesus and when we put our faith in Jesus we live in love 
and we have sure and certain hope that we're going to be with Jesus forever, now and for eternity. What a wonderful truth we have there. How cool is that? How wonderful is it? Well, what do we say about soul sleep or soul rest? It's worth thinking about, isn't it? I'm actually going to jump back once, Tommy. I want to say one thing before this too. Uh, it, it's interesting, isn't it, as we, as we go through this, as the parousia comes down, uh, as Jesus returns, what's happening, uh, as I said, we need to be careful that we don't fill in the gaps that aren't filled in by Jesus. Because we can end up making all sorts of stuff out of this too, can't we? Uh, because Jesus' return, there's probably more written on Jesus' return <laughs> than what there is written on just about anything else that's out there at times. Uh, and we need to be careful that we don't say less than what the Bible says, but we don't say more than what the Bible says. And we need to be careful that we don't start building up a whole picture that's actually not there. Because you see, a lot of the picture that we get is picture language, guys, okay? A lot of what we have in front of us, even here, is symbolic. And if we understand the Old Testament, we understand that what's happening here when Jesus is talking about, Paul's saying about the Prusia and Jesus coming, uh, he's using a whole lot of symbolic Old Testament language to help us with that. Uh, what does the cloud represent in the Old Testament? What happens at the temple? It's the glory of God, isn't it? It's the God, it's God's present. So the cloud is symbolic of God's presence, of God coming. Isn't it? The presence of God. That's a picture. It's a picture of that. What does Daniel say about what happens when the end time, when Jesus returns? He comes on the clouds from heaven, doesn't he? He actually comes into earth. He comes down. Uh, the picture of God coming to dwell with his people again. Because when was that? Originally? The garden. When is it at the end? In Revelation. And how does that happen? Jesus comes to dwell with his people. So the symbolism there too, and the symbolism in the air is symbolic as well. It's not so much that we'll be floating up here in a sense in one state, but it's this idea because the air has two things in the Bible. One, it's the presence of demons and the demonic area. That's the air. Who is the devil? He's the ruler of the air. What does that mean? Well, actually he's no longer the ruler of the air, is he? Because Jesus has taken over it. He's the king. And the second thing is what he's doing there is symbolic because what he's saying is that the day of the Lord, we're going to look at a little bit later, is actually a day of judgment, a day when Jesus comes in to bring ultimate justice. And those who are his and follow him will be safe with him away from the judgment and the ultimate justice. They'll be safe with him. See the symbolism? What Paul wants to give them hope is you won't miss out if you're here now, you'll be with him, but you're not going to be there first either. The people who are dead, they're going to come and be with him. They're going to be safe with him as well. They're going to be safe with Jesus when the rest of justice and everything that is impure and wiped out is cleansed from the earth and Jesus is going to come and reign. I don't know whether you've heard the word rapture. Uh, it's only mentioned once and it's not actually here. Uh, it's mentioned in Matthew. 
And if you notice that this here isn't actually a rapture. Uh, people who talk about rapture is that Jesus comes and takes people away and they've gone somewhere. Okay, they've been removed and not here anymore. Jesus is coming, he's got them, he's got them safe and he's going to bring them to the earth. He's not going away, he's coming, isn't he? He's coming to the earth, he's coming to extend his reign, it's going to be here. He's not taking people away, he's making them safe and then he's bringing them into his kingdom. See what Paul's doing to them? He wants them to know that they are safe. Okay? The only other place you'll hear anything about the concept of rapture is in Matthew. And even if you read that, I don't think it's even there. Because Jesus comes and establishes his kingdom on earth. Uh, if you want to read more about it, because I don't have time to go into all of it here, uh, lots of stuff out there, I can tell you. You want to read it? And don't get me wrong, people will have different views on this, and it's okay to have different views, all right? It doesn't impact your salvation, all right? Your salvation is in Jesus, so don't get me wrong. Uh, there's views on this idea of rapture, there's views on millennium and all that sort of stuff. They're not the base, okay? Jesus is. But if this, if you want to read a book that I think captures it and summarises it and brings a whole lot of it together, I haven't read a better book than this. It's called 666 and all of that by John Dixon and uh, Greg Clark, and they just take you to the Bible and help you see what the Bible says, not what everyone else out there is trying to tell you is on, but tries to take you there. You may not agree with them on everything, that's okay, but they'll tell you that you don't have to agree with them on everything. Well, I think it's a really helpful book. If you want to go into all that sort of stuff and have a think about it, grab that. There's two copies here. You can borrow them. You can bring them back. My name's in the front, so you know who to give it back to eventually in a couple of years when you're looking at, oh, who was that book? <laughs> oh, it's Paul and Karina's. I'll give it back to them. Because I have no idea where all my books are, by the way. I was supposed to write them down, but they've gone and who knows where they are. Um, so I want to encourage you just to, to think through that because don't say more than what the Scriptures say, don't say less than what the Scriptures say, because in one sense there's a whole lot of stuff that we don't know. But what Paul wants people to know is they need to know they're 100% safe with Jesus. And that's where this other part comes into it too. And, and there are, well, what does happen to the people who die? Well, Paul doesn't say a whole lot, does he? But he says they're safe. So let's hold on to that. There is nothing that is going to hurt the person who we love, who knows Jesus when they die, before Jesus returns. They, they are absolutely safe in him. But then there's two different concepts that people will have with this. And the guys who write this book, they have... One holds one view and one holds the other. I particularly have one that I think I'm stronger on, but then I, you know, either one. Uh, but basically, the idea is when people die, there's two, two thoughts. One is that there's soul sleep, and the other one is that there's soul rest. Uh, and there's no purgatory. There is no picture of purgatory in the Bible anywhere. Okay? It comes from an extra-biblical book before Jesus' return. One bloke wrote something and said, we're going to pray for the people and we're going to pay some money for them to get into heaven. It's got none in the Bible anywhere. It's not on Jesus' lips. It's not on the apostles' lips. It's one little statement somewhere. It's not there, okay? It's not there. And I want to tell you, you want to be thankful for that. You want to be thankful for that. 
but what there is, there's two ideas. Uh, one is that soul sleep. You'll notice what Paul says? They've fallen asleep. They've fallen asleep. They've fallen asleep. Do you know the exact moment when you fall asleep? Ah, oh, it's somewhere between 10.30 and 10.35. Got no idea, have you? And then do you know when you wake up? So when you go to sleep and when you wake up, it's like that. And there could be anything from five minutes to 15 hours, depending on whether you're a teenager or not. Couldn't it? You do not know. And so there's a picture in the Bible that Jesus says to the thief on the cross, today you'll be in paradise with me. There's a picture throughout Scripture that when you, fall, you, you sleep, you go from one to the other, bang. You don't know. You don't have any concept of time, but Jesus has got you safe. So it could be that you fall asleep. It could be a year, a thousand years, a couple of thousand years, depending on when Jesus returns, bang, and you're awake and you're with him and you're safe. Uh, the second picture is that there's soul rest. That is that when you die, your body is gone, completely dead, but your soul rests with Jesus, that you're actually with him in presence in a soul-type form. Now, that soul form is only at that point. It doesn't stay there. When Jesus returns, it's clear that we are resurrected in our bodies. We don't live in a soul form. We don't spend eternity in a soul form. We're not Casper the ghost floating around on clouds. Uh, we are bodily on a transformed, new earth, living life in the presence of Jesus, safe with Jesus for eternity, in perfection. That's the heaven picture. But, so there's a picture, there's a couple of passages in Colossians uh, that say that there is a sense that there is, you are safe with your soul with Jesus. I think both are pretty good. Either one of them says you are safe and secure with Jesus. Once you are his, nothing and no one, neither death nor life or anything can separate you from him. That's a beautiful picture, isn't it? That's got to give us hope, doesn't it? We may not be 100% sure, but we know we're safe, guys. And when we're safe with him, when he returns, we're going to be with him in perfection forever. How great is that? So what does that mean now? Well, that's what he goes on now, doesn't he? He says, hope in life. Uh, chapter 5, verses 1 to 11 he goes through and, uh, and builds a picture of what that looks like here and now. And he says one thing we shouldn't do and he says one couple of things that we should do. And then the last part of chapter 5, he gives a very strong picture of what it should look like here and now. And the very first thing he says to us in chapter 5, verse 1 is, stop thinking about dates and times. Don't try and predict it. Don't try and work a road map for how when Jesus is going to return. Don't do that. I don't know whether you can get any stronger than that, could you? He says, now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not write, write to write to you. If you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, while people are saying peace and safety, while they're just living life, thinking it's all okay, destruction will come on them suddenly as labour pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. Jesus says exactly the same thing, doesn't he? But yet there are people out there trying to tell you that it's going to happen on this date or this date. Or we're... I don't know how much you need to read the Bible for it to tell you, stop doing that. Don't do it. Because you don't know. No one knows. And there's a reason you don't know about that because Jesus wants you to be on about what he's on about now, not getting caught up with when he's actually going to get here. 
Look forward to it, but don't get caught up on the times and dates. 1992 in Sydney. Church in Gladesville uh, uh, decided that, or decided that, made the big prediction that Jesus was going to return in 1992 on October the 29th. Uh, big pronouncement all over the place. Uh, the newspapers got onto it and the camera crews turned up. People in their church gave up their jobs, stopped working, pulled up stumps, sold things, and they stood there on October the 29th, 1992. Oh, stuff. That was wrong, wasn't it? <laughs> Didn't happen, did it? Newspapers. Uh, no missing followers of Jesus in Gladesville found, seen, or anything. They're like, Didn't happen. Of course it's not going to happen. As soon as you put a date on it, that's not the time it's going to go be, is it? Because Jesus says you don't know. He says, I don't know. It's in the Father's hands. But you go on the internet today and you'll see that people are predicting it. They did predict it last year. They'll predict it this year and they'll predict it next year. And you notice, I don't know why this is, but it's around September, October. So just be wary around September, October, okay? You never know. Uh, but he's just saying, don't get caught up on it, guys, because it takes you away. I'm going to talk about it in just a moment. It clouds your thinking. He says, it's not about that, is it? It's going to happen unexpectedly, like a thief. You're not expecting a thief to turn up. It's going to be suddenly. It's going to happen like that. And everyone's going to know. Jesus will return unexpectedly, suddenly, unavoidably and certainly. That's what we can say about it. We can't say any more than that. But that's what we definitely can say. So we need to hold on to that. It's a great thing to know that, isn't it? And the big question is, are you ready? Because that's what Paul goes on to talk about, doesn't he? He says, are you ready when Jesus does return because it's going to be the day of the Lord as he says in verse 1 if those know anything about the Old Testament the day of the Lord was the day of ultimate justice when everything will be set right that's the day of the Lord that's the day Jesus returns so are you ready and there's two ways to be ready isn't there one, firstly, is to know that you're safe in Jesus. I don't know whether you know, there's, uh, I've got a couple of mates called Al Burke and Hamish Burke, another guy called Mark Cooper-White. Um, Al and Hamish are huge, all right? They're big boys. They're solid. And Al particularly is a rough nut, a tough nut. Like, don't mess with him. A bloke ran past him uh, in Asheville one day, pinched the bag of this lady, and as he was running past him, Al just went, smack, grabbed him by his throat, rammed him up against the wall and said, give that back. And he did. Um, both Al and Hamish are pastors, ministers in the Prezi Church. We're not wimps in the Prezi Church. Um, and so, and, and Coopy and I, so I'm not that big. I might be tall, but I'm not that big. Uh, and Coopy's smaller than me. And we were walking through the middle of Parramatta a couple of years ago, and it was packed. It was packed. They were still losing, and it was packed. And uh, they were walking in front, and Coopy and I were standing behind. And as they were walking through, I was looking at Coopy and said, the people were just going <laughs> around them. They just went 
strolled through the middle of everything and creeping along, say, hey, good's this? <laughs> Woo! Walking behind, they're all just peeling off around them, mate. I felt safe as houses behind Alan Hamish because everything just went away from them. Well, that's what this Paul's, what's this, what we need to be is safe behind Jesus, isn't it? Because everything peels off behind him. He is our safe place. If we put our trust in him, then we are safe on that last day. We're safe when we die. If that's before Jesus' return, we're safe when Jesus returns because we're in Jesus. That is what we need to be ready, guys. If you haven't made that decision yet, can I implore you to make sure you make that decision? Don't wait. Even though we don't talk about dates and times, can I tell you now that Jesus' return is closer now than when I first started talking. It's getting closer all the time, and there will be a day. Don't wait, because at that point in time, it's too late. Make that decision now. Stand in behind him now. Take on him now. Be safe with Jesus now. Please. If you want to talk to me about that later, please come and talk to me. I'd love to chat to you about that. And the second thing is you need to be ready, is you need to be on about Jesus' mission. That's what Paul says in the rest of it. He talks about light and dark. He says it's about being, uh, living in the light. He says live in light of eternity. Live in light that Jesus is going to return. Live now on his mission now. That's what it is to live now. That's what it is to be prepared and ready for Jesus, to be on his mission now. It's not about working out times and dates and predictions and all those sort of things. No, 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 no. That, that actually doesn't help. It's not about being about on his mission now getting on doing the things that he wants us to do, living in this world the way he wants to live in this world. And he goes on to talk more about that in the rest of chapter 5, and he talked about that a whole lot back in chapters 1 to 4 as well. It's about love and faith, isn't it? It's about being on his mission. It's our mission, isn't it? That we are to be people who are growing in our love for Jesus, each other, our community and our world, and helping each other do the same. We've just taken our mission and put it into words of what Jesus told us to do. Go and love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul and mind and love everyone as yourself and go and make disciples of the nations. That is what we're to be on about, guys. That is what it means to getting ready for Jesus. To be living life that's sold out for that. That's what it means to live in the light. Or in another way. So are you ready? Be safe with Jesus. Live for Jesus. And then you'll be ready for Jesus. And encourage each other as you go on and do that, doesn't he? At the end of both sections of this, he says, therefore encourage one another with these words. That's the end of the first section about being confident when the people who die are in Jesus. And at the end of this section about how to live, he says, therefore encourage one another, build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. Paul wants us to encourage each other in that, doesn't he? I love the start of the footy season. How good is it? I've been watching TV since Thursday night. It just keeps going. It's wonderful. And what you see there, don't you see cheerleaders are going on. If you had been at the Commonwealth uh, Ice Olympics, uh, there's our South Korean and North Korean cheerleaders going on, aren't they? Uh, They're cheering on their team. Uh, What Paul is saying is that we need to be cheerleaders for each other. 
We need to be cheering each other on. We need to be on each other's side. We need to let each other know we're on each other's side. We need to be encouraging one another to stick out what we're doing. We need to be cheering each other on. How often don't we do that, though? Uh, we pick out things we're not doing, think of things that aren't happening, think of stuff that we're not... Getting. No, 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 cheer one another on, encourage one another on. Paul says, he says it twice, doesn't he? If your parents say to you things twice, it means they really mean it. Paul says he really means it here. It's cheer one another on. Cheer one another of hope in life and death. That we are safe and secure in Jesus forever. And that we go and live that out in our everyday lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for all that you teach us within it. Father, we thank you the hope that we see in it, Lord. The hope of Jesus. The hope that when we're in him, we are safe forever, Lord. Never to be separated from him. Father, I want to thank you and praise that you do that for us, Lord. Enable us and empower us by your spirit, Lord, to trust in that more and more. And Lord, may we cheer one another on, encourage one another on to live that hope out, that expectant hope, that certain hope, Lord, to live it out every day of our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.